Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. 1 John 1, 1 to 4 together. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also have, may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Uh, Father, we do, te- uh, we do thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for uh, how you speak to us through it and that you're a God who does speak, a God who wants a relationship with us and a God who, who um, gives us the Bible to know, uh, to read, to, to get to know you better uh, and, and uh, gives us understanding about how we're called to live in this world. And so I pray, Lord, now that as we do that, you'll help us uh, receive it. Your spirit will be at work in our hearts, being convicted of it, and Lord, that you will move us uh, to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I've been a pastor of this church for about nearly nine years now, and I have really loved it, and I really love seeing how uh, we have a group of people here, this church family, we call it, uh, of so many different people with different personalities. And over the years, I've really learned that um, there are people here who are, who are very different. Some people who are uh, morning people, night people, some people who are, who are quiet, some people who are loud, uh, some who are very, very organized. They have their, their, their calendar, the calendar, the social calendar organized months in advance, and then others who are just sort of loose and more spontaneous every weekend on what they're doing with their time. Uh, people who are feelers, people who are thinkers when it comes to decision making at least, you know, that's generally you know, based on your feelings or your, think, your thoughts. But the one thing that I, um, I find really interesting about our church is the amount of extroverts and introverts we have. And now I have a theory, uh, uh, a hypothesis maybe it's better saying, I guess, that we have more introverts here than extroverts. Can I ask you guys the question, and you mind raising your hands, just to humor me for a bit. Can I ask how many extroverts are in the room? Okay. How many introverts? Should be everyone else. So I'd say there's like a 70% and 30% introverts to extroverts. I find that really, really interesting. Now, before I say more, I hate categorizing people, okay, as extroverts and introverts, I want to treat you as you. Come on, you're you. You're not based on a personality trait. But let me entertain this thought a bit more with introverts, all right? I often hear from introverts or, you know, online that you'd rather, if you had a choice, on a Friday night, if you had a choice, you'd rather be at home, curled up in a bed with some ice cream chips, episodes of your favorite show, than get dressed up and go out with your friends, all right? Sort of, yeah. I mean, you, you choose that. It'd be, you know, after a long week of work and, you know, seeing people throughout the week, it, that me time, that sounds so good, doesn't it? It sounds like the perfect Friday night. And I mean, it's not even just for introverts. Extroverts feel like, like love that too. But it's not that introverts don't love people. They do. They love their friends. They need their friends. But they just need more time, more time for themselves to recharge. But what if I asked you, if you are an introvert, given the choice, stay in bed on a Sunday morning or go to church, go to church and be surrounded by people 
who want to do small talk with you, people who are very chatty, some extroverts that talk a lot, uh, you know, even, even though you spent all weekend with people already on Saturday and Saturday night, which would you choose? I mean, the latter sounds actually terrifying sometimes, doesn't it? And I look around though, and we have about 70% of you that are introverts. And you've chosen to be here. All of you, extrovert or introvert, you've chosen to be here this morning to come and be part of this church gathering. Why? You see, most of our friends would understand outside of church, they would understand that you get out of bed to go to a chess club if you play chess and you love chess and you found joy in chess. To go on a park run at 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning because you love running alongside strangers for some reason on a Saturday morning. Totally understandable, sure. To join an online community. Some, some of you guys, I think young people here play Valorant, is that what it's called? To get online, play Valorant with strangers and talk to them online. I mean, that wouldn't be unusual, would it, for our, for our friends to understand. It goes for any community, a community around bouldering and rock climbing or being part of a dance class or a group of friends that love going to the movies or, or going to cafes and, and finding the best coffee. From anyone's perspective, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? But to go to church on a Sunday morning when you could be getting that me time that we all feel in short supply of, why are you here today? Why are you here doing this church thing every week? Some of our young adults just went away this weekend for Friday to, to Sunday morning. They left to the Sunshine Coast at 8 a.m. to get here on time. Why did you bother? Why are you here? You, you'll say, oh, because Mikey asked us to. But <laughs> in these opening first voices, uh, first verses of first John, why are you here to? Why are we doing this church thing? The answer is quite clear, isn't it? It's Jesus. Now, I could wrap it up, that's the answer, I gave you the answer, let's sing some songs and go home. But the answer is Jesus, yes, but what John does for us is he's going to explain to us who this Jesus is, clarifying that for us, and we're going to discover why Jesus is worth us, worth us gathering around each week. And my hope today, this is my hope today, that you guys today will understand why this thing we do each week around Jesus is so worth showing up for, even if it's hard, even if it might inconvenience us or get us out of our comfort zones. Firstly, some context, some brief context, John writes this letter. John, who's the writer of this letter, he's the John who writes the Gospel of John for us. All right, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's in the New Testament. That John, he's the apostle of Jesus, he writes First John that we're reading today for us. All right, now John was one of the 12 apostles, he's one of Jesus' inner circle, uh, and, and these are some of the books he writes. Um, John's Gospel, First, Second, and Third John, and Revelation. All right, so they're all attributed to him as the author of those books in our New Testament. Uh, out of all the 12 apostles, I think uh, what, what, what's said is they all died, uh, they were all martyred for their faith, but John was one of the ones who lived a long life uh, and died in old age, one of the only ones. So that's the John who writes First John for us, and that helps because he starts off in verse 1, doesn't he, Andy? And we read it, and I'll read it again. I think I've got it on the screen, actually. We'll read it, and I'll read a few verses. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. Verse 2, The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And verse 3, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. So in these first three verses, seen, heard, touched, their eyes, their ears, their hands, they, with their senses, they've experienced Jesus personally. They've encountered, encountered him in the flesh, Jesus in human form. John wants us to be clear about his 
authority, really, in how he writes, the, the authenticity that he comes with. He writes to us as someone who has first-hand eyewitness of Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus. This isn't second-hand information. This isn't some legend being passed down. John is saying, we, the apostles, we lived, we ate, we walked with Jesus. But second, he's also making an important point about who this Jesus is, isn't he? This one that Christians worship and unite around, he is God come in human form. Jesus was tangible, not some vision that they had or a dream that they woke up from or, or some sort of spirit, spiritual thing or illusion. Right? He really was human. Uh, this is important because you'll learn, we'll learn throughout 1 John that there is a false teaching happening in the church. It'll come up again later on. People teaching a, a Christianity that wasn't consistent with who the, the historical Jesus was. Right? So, you know, this is, this is infiltrating the church at the moment. There were a group of people, I'll just give you a bit of history, uh, they were called Gnostics. And Gnostics were all about having a special divine knowledge. And this divine knowledge of, of the spiritual world around them uh, meant that everything around them, the, the spiritual was good, but the material, the things on earth, the, the tangible stuff, it, it was all bad. It was all corrupt. Our bodies are flawed. That's what they were teaching. And to have salvation is to have access to this knowledge of this divine spiritual world, the realm up there. That was sort of what they were teaching. And it's all, it's all very mystical, like enlightenment, you know, be enlightened with special divine knowledge. Now for that, that also meant for them that Jesus, yes, he's God, but Jesus couldn't have been human because to be human is to be flawed, to have a flawed body. He didn't have a human body. He was a spiritual. He came as a spirit. So they teach about Jesus in this Gnostic way. And you can imagine then, infiltrating the church, it would cause division, wouldn't it? Division and misunderstanding about what the Christian faith really is all about. This false teaching about Jesus, it became so widespread. Actually, in history, in the second century, Gnosticism was declared a heresy by the early church. So already we're reading about it here in 1 John, 1 John. He wants to clarify that for us, especially in the face of that and what's being spread among the churches. So Jesus was God and he came into our world as a human. Again, I'm going to keep reading these verses and we're going to keep picking things from it. Verse 1 to 2, I think I've got it again. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Again, I read this again because what is being repeated again and again? The Jesus who they saw, who they heard and touched, wasn't just a man either. He uses the, word, the, the, the phrase, the word of life. The life appeared, eternal life in him. It's a person. It's, it's a person, but it's also the word of life. It's the per in him is life and brings eternal life to us. Why, what he's doing here, he's using these words because it's actually what he wrote in John's gospel as well. So I've got it, I think I've got it on the screen as well, John's gospel from chapter one. It's coming up. The next, it should be the next slide. It says this from chapter one of his gospel. In the beginning, again, from the beginning, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Verse four, in him was life and that life was a light of all mankind. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, that word that became human is Jesus, the word of life, who existed from eternity 
and has entered time and space and, and taken up residence here on earth in human flesh. In him, that eternal life is to be had. You see, John's saying these things within these, he's saying so much, isn't he, within these first few verses. And it's so important because it's not un- uncommon to hear different interpretations of who Jesus is, even today. Outside of church, I'm sure you'll hear friends who think of Jesus as just a good man who walked this earth. Not God, but just a good guy, a good teacher, started a religion. We have friends who probably think that Jesus is just a legend, a myth, a fairy tale. What John is doing here is wanting to clarify to Christians the truth about who Jesus is. God who came in the flesh, and in Him there is eternal life. In Him, He's the source of our salvation. Now, for some people here, we're going back to basics. I get that, and I know many of you, oh, this is basic stuff, Mikey. You've heard it a thousand times. But do you truly believe this? Would you confidently, if I could ask you this question, would you confidently ever say, uh, say yes to this? My question is, if you die tonight, would you have confidence you'll be saved and in heaven? Some people hesitate at that question. Some people feel uncertain still and might have been going to church for a long time. You see, the thing about that is is sometimes we question it and we think, oh, I'm not sure I've done enough good in this life to deserve it. Others are wondering whether their church attendance, their volunteer work, their Bible knowledge is sufficient to grant salvation for them. But John is trying to point us to where we can find confidence. Eternal salvation isn't going to be found within us, our abilities, our knowledge, our good works. Our salvation, eternal life, is through faith in Jesus. He is the word of life. The life that appeared, who died a real death who, and, and had a bodily resurrection through being fully God and fully man, he accomplishes for us eternal life that only he can grant. Representing our humanity in every way as our sacrifice, but also able to defeat and conquer sin and be raised again because he is the divine son of God. This word of life that was there in the beginning that he's personally encountered. This Jesus is the one John proclaims, the source of our eternal salvation. Now, in a world where we get fake news and scam text messages and the internet that gives us misinformation, I I hear as well people in shopping centers asking you to do Bible studies with them and they seem really nice and then you discover you're in a cult. We need to understand some of these essential Christian truths. We have the Bible. It's reliable. That's the first thing. It's God's word to us. And particularly here, we're reading John. He was a first-hand eyewitness. He records this for us. It's reliable. We can trust it. But two, Jesus is our Lord. He's the one we believe in and we trust. He's the source of our salvation, the one we worship, the one who's worthy of worship. Now, if you go to a church who don't, who, and they don't teach those fundamentals, I'm going to go on record and say that's not Christianity. John very clearly, three times in fact, says this is what we proclaim. This is what we testify to. It's in him alone, Jesus alone, that we get salvation. It's not going to be through new age prophets or in another extra list of laws or rules you need to follow that will save you. It's faith in Jesus alone where salvation and eternal life is found. So if you find yourself in a church where they're not preaching and proclaiming Jesus as a risen Savior in whom we have eternal life, alarm bells should be going off. Now, with that in mind, let's return to the original question. Why are you here? Why is the thing that unites us in church, why is that thing, uh, what is that thing that we'd show up every Sunday to do here? If we're honest with ourselves, I imagine some of us 
come because we have friends here. And that's nice. I'm so glad that you have friends here. Some of us come because we're lonely. We want connections. Some of us, we really love, uh, we're looking for a church that caters to us, like programs or ministries that meet our needs, like a, a good kids ministry or, or music, like a boy band that emotionally, you know, they sing in a way that emotionally moves you. Some, some people come because that, that's why they come. Or they like the teaching. And that's great. I'm glad you like the teaching here at Providence if, if, if that's why you're here. That's good and all. People want to resonate and vibe with the church before they call it home. I get that. But that can't be the only and main reason you're here. Because let's be honest, that, that stuff is short-lived, isn't it? What if the pastor who preaches the way you really like is away that week? Do you just not go to church? Or the friends you go for have moved on. They, they've moved cities. They move interstate. They've studied abroad or whatever. And they're not there anymore. Or if there are weeks, some weeks, you just don't connect with the music and the songs. The musicians just... You know, they choose songs that just don't resonate with you. Ultimately, if that's why you're here at church and what you're, you're, you're uniting around, it's not going to last, is it? You're going to get disappointed at some point. You're gonna, it's, it's probably going to fail you. And I can also guess that sometimes there are people at church who just don't know why you're here. You're just going with emotion. That's a good thing to do. My parents raised me in church, so I'm here. I come each week. And sometimes you really feel like, you really like church and sometimes you don't. Your joy fluctuates week to week and you start to wonder, what am I even doing here? You see, all those examples, who is at the center of all those examples? It's ourselves, isn't it? We want a church that caters to me, a church that meets my needs, a church that gives me pleasure and meaning. But church and people and what our needs and wants are, they always change. The focus can't be us. The focus needs to be on Jesus. He's the one John proclaims. You see, John wants to point us to who is at the heart of what we do and why we're gathered as a church. It's not me. It's not you. It's all about Jesus. And when we arrive at that truth about the greatness and the supremacy of Jesus, then I'm not a church making it about me, am I? Why would I? There's a greater treasure that makes my heart sing. I want to be at church united with you because of Him, Jesus. I want it to be all about Him. That's why I get out of bed on a Sunday morning and show up faithfully each week. Isn't that why you're here too? You see, that needs to be understood clearly first to be at the heart of why we're here. When we understand that He's the, the source of our salvation, worthy to gather around to worship, we will come to realize too that He's the basis of our community and our joy. So you read in verse 3 and 4, I've got this on the screen, it says, We proclaim to you that we, what... To, to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ we write this to make our joy complete now get this first i'll, I'll explain the second part jesus secures fellowship with god the father because of the sin in our humanity we can't actually approach god we can't stand in his holy perfect presence because he's without sin he's holy he's perfect we, we're sinful. We have sin. We can't actually approach Him. Now, that sin can't be removed from within, from our own abilities or doing some good charitable deeds. I had a friend once who told me he's, he's not religious, but he'd go down to his local Buddhist temple every once in a while to help them wash dishes. And he said he's hoping that it'll help wash away his sins. That's what he said to me. But it doesn't work like that with God, does it? Nothing we do, no sacrifice, none of our good works is enough to pay for our past, present, and future sins, our continuous sin against God. Our good works themselves are always going to be stained by the sin of our hearts. 
And because of that, we simply can't bridge the gap between us and God on our own. We'll always fall short of that. Only the Son of God, Jesus in the flesh, who gave his life for us to offer us the eternal life in him, only through him have, can we be restored into a relationship with God. So through him, Jesus, we have fellowship. Another word you could say is we're united with God. Now because of that, when we share in that fellowship and relationship with God, that vertical relationship, we've been gifted with this, a horizontal relationship with one another. That's why John in verse 3 says, we tell you about the word of life so that you may have fellowship with us. We're in fellowship with other Christians when we're in Christ. It's a, it's a spiritual union happening there with one another. You're now part of God's church. God doesn't save you to be alone and isolated as individuals all working out on our own. He saves you and I into community, into the fellowship. Now, this is a bit of a tangent. I don't want to be that guy that's picky with, about stuff, but it is a little incorrect to say then, let's have a time of fellowship, guys, because you're already in the fellowship. You're in the fellowship by union with Jesus and union with each other. Just say you want to hang out, okay? Just say you want to hang out and worship together. That's fine, but I don't know. Um, the thing about fellowship, though, as a Christian is you might have nothing in common with the people around you as well. That's what fellowship looks like. But you do share the most important thing that matters. You share in the same faith. You call God the Father, and you call Jesus your Lord. So together, we want to seek, as a fellowship, we want to seek and worship and love God, to seek to live out His mission. We get to be on that journey together. Isn't that wonderful? You don't have to do it alone. Every time I think about the word fellowship, what do you think of? I think of the movie Lord of the Rings. Goes, I, look, this is 20 years ago. Some of you guys weren't even born then. But it, it, it makes me really sad. It's, it's one of the best movies. If you haven't watched it, you should watch it. Worth three hours of your life. No regrets, right? The first movie of the Lord of the Rings, of the trilogy, what's it called? It's called The Fellowship of the Ring, right? Guess what The Fellowship is? It's a group of different people united around the same cause. Uh, it's, I can't give you the whole plot right now. I'm going to give you a short version. They're all so different. There's a wizard and an elf and a dwarf and two humans and four hobbits, sounds random, on a mission to destroy this magical ring of power, okay? And it's, sounds like a wild adventure, Right? Doesn't that make you want to watch it? It's, it's a really good movie, right? But doesn't that also excite you about our fellowship? If I was going to compare it, that we're part of. It's a wild adventure being part of the church sometimes, honestly. United with people who are so different to you. There's a wizard and the elf. No. The, you know, we, we unite with people who are sharing the love of Jesus and working out and living out our faith together. When I say it's wild and a wild adventure, I mean there are some really amazing things that you get to witness. You see people who were once angry and impatient become gentle and loving. People who were, who were very once insecure about themselves flourish in confidence knowing their identity is rock solid in Jesus. People once driven by money and wealth become generous and content. People who have, who have addictions find freedom. People's lives transformed and changed. Man, it's a wild adventure. And I mean that in the most exciting way. Just like the Lord of the Rings, there'll be hard days too. There'll be temptations and brokenness and conflict and difficulties of doing life together. There are high points and low points at times. And we should expect that, being part of a fellowship of Christ with different people. But in saying that, because Christ is at the center of, of what, what we do, why we meet, why we gather, and why we go on that wild adventure together, because of Christ, there'll always be a deep, unshakable joy that grounds us and guides us. 
It's not the changing circumstances around us. It's not our needs and wants being met. The lasting deep joy is in the truth of who Jesus is, the eternal life with God that he secured for us. We get to experience that together. And when we get to witness others in the church see Christ, when we get to see others live for Christ and get baptized and, and change, wow, just like John, we should be able to echo those words. It makes our joy complete. Now there's another person I know who knows the beauty of Jesus, our great treasure in life. That brings great joy to me because Jesus gets glory and he's so worthy of that. But there's also the beauty of that fellowship together. I now have a bigger family of believers I can turn to, another a Christian that I can love and be loved by, another brother and sister in Christ. So when John says we write this to you to make our joy complete, he's saying, I love seeing you come to know the true person of Jesus and the eternal life we have in him and that we get to share in that treasure together in unity and fellowship, that's what brings great joy. I don't know about you, but I can attest to that truth. Now, I've been around the block a few times, right? And what I mean by that is I've been a Christian for, for many years now in, in churches, in different levels of leadership and all that, and I've seen people come through church and leave church. But over the years, I've seen so many people come to know Jesus and worship Jesus, and it has brought me great joy. I mean, to the point that I decided to become a pastor. Because I love seeing I love seeing lives transformed and people centered their lives on Jesus. Very little can excite me more. I have the privilege of front row seats and seeing God's change and seeing God change lives. And that brings me great joy. I get to win, and many of you do as well. Many of you who have been here for a while now, you have seen that in this church. And you feel that as well, that joy, don't you? And while that is true, the flip side to it, and I know many of you feel this too, is it's absolutely heartbreaking when the people you love decide to walk away from Jesus, when they decide to leave the fellowship they have with God, which also, also means as a result they spiritually break fellowship with you and the church family. To see people I've loved over the years walk away from the treasure and life of Jesus, it's heartbreaking. Would you agree with me on those things? And, you know, I need to ask you, that: do you have that joy in your experience of, the faithful, of, of a faithful Christian community around Jesus? And if you don't, we've got to ask why. It might be because, yeah, sure, there's a season where you're struggling relationally with people at church, sure. But what if perhaps, perhaps it might be that the focus of church for you isn't centered on Jesus. Perhaps you've centered church on you. If your joy at church is struggling, then maybe just my encouragement today is realign yourself with Jesus as the central reason why you're here, the basis of our community. Move towards him, make him the object of your shared experience who nourishes you and ultimately will be the one that satisfies you. Lastly, I want us all to consider this. As a church, if, if that's where joy is ultimately found, then doesn't that make everything we do here so much more purposeful and meaningful? We unite around things that bring us great joy. We join social clubs, gyms, sport clubs, book clubs, online communities. We invest in them, don't we? We build it up in our lives. We put money into, a, into membership fees and we put time into it and we practice. We read books about it to learn more. We put effort and energy into it because those things bring us joy. Yesterday, I was with eight men in this church and we built a trampoline. It sounds like a random Saturday afternoon activity, but we were united, united around this common goal. 
And together, after an hour or so of building, there was a sense of shared joy among us with this completed trampoline. How great was this? It was for one of the dads here at church. Not for me. What about how you approach church? What about how you approach church? Is Jesus central to why you're here? Are you going to build and invest your time and energy and effort into seeing Jesus made much of in your life and in the life of this church? When we see Jesus and, and, and the purpose of our gathering centered upon Him, then when you serve church, when you volunteer your time, when you show up each week and welcome people next to you and pray for others and read and study the Bible and do ministries of mercy and you give generously and invite your non-believing friends to church, do you see what you're doing? You're building and pointing people to the lasting eternal joy and, and, and eternal life we have in Jesus that doesn't spoil or fade. We get to play a part in seeing other lives transformed. People receive eternal life. People finding and knowing great joy. It's not limited to this temporary life. We're talking about salvation of people's souls. That's eternity stuff that we're building. When we come to this realization that Jesus as our Savior is our Savior and eternal life, and He's the reason why we're united and gathered here, that puts everything we do into perspective, doesn't it? An eternal perspective. We're builders, not about little kingdoms that will be temporary and short-lived. We play a part in building God's kingdom that lasts into eternity. Do you see that? Do you, do you know who Jesus is and what He's accomplished for us on the cross? Do you recognize the joy that comes from the fellowship we have with God and one another? Then like John, let's keep proclaiming and testifying that truth to others so they too can have that confidence and joy that comes only from knowing Jesus. Because let's be honest, while there's such a great range of personalities in this church, extroverts and introverts and loud people and quiet people and feelers and thinkers, I love that. While I love that, the truth is our identity is so much more than just our personality. If you're a Christian here today, you've been born again in Christ, you have eternal life. If He is your conviction, if Jesus is your conviction and your deep joy, then we're here. We're here united together, not because it's about us, but because it's all about Him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus, that Jesus is our life, our eternal life, that through his sacrifice on the cross, we get joy. We have fellowship with you, a restored relationship with you. And because of that too, we have a relationship with one another here in that spiritual union, that fellowship, the fellowship of the cross. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us see that and, and appreciate that and embrace that in our lives. Help us to be the church that you want us to be, centered upon Jesus, centered upon the gospel of Jesus. And Lord, as we do that, may we, may we see and know the great joy that comes with it. Help us, Lord, by your Spirit, live that out in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.